2: This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and sexual assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
3: On April 13th, 1924, snow blanketed the grounds of Oregon's Deschutes National Forest. Owen Morris and Hervey Ennis braved the weather to journey to a remote cabin in the woods, hoping to find their friends.
4: Oh, what's
3: that awful smell?
5: (coughs) Whatever's in this pod is awful moldy. Ugh, it's like it's been here for weeks. I don't think Ed would
4: stand for this. Your brother a messy type? Dewey's clean enough, and if he wasn't, Roy would make him clean. That marine training's drilled pretty deep. Do you think they're out trapping? No, look. These are their boots, and their rifles. They wouldn't dare go out in the snow without him. What was that? The closet. Open it. Oh, Harvey, why me? Fine. I'll do it.
5: (coughs) Easy, Owen. It's just a cat. Poor thing's skin and bones. Wherever our men are, they've been gone a while.
4: Three months. How do you reckon that? The calendar. It's still set on January. Harvey. Where have they been for the last three months?
2: This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Parcast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
3: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case.
2: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar.
3: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
2: And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening.
3: This is our first episode on Oregon's infamous Lava Lake Murders, where three fur trappers were killed under mysterious circumstances in 1924. This week, we'll learn about the victims' lives, the fateful trip that would end in their disappearance, and the rescue effort that led to a horrifying discovery.
2: Next week, we'll cover the investigation into their murders and the possible motives and suspects. In the early 20th century, Bend, Oregon, was a minor trade hub for ranchers and farmers. In 1905, the town only had 500 listed residents, but in 1911,
3: All that changed. The Oregon Railroad completed construction of a stop in Bend allowing both people and goods to travel through.
2: Well this attracted the Brooks Scanlon Lumber Company which opened sawmills in 1916.
3: Buildings sprang up to accommodate Bend's expanded economy and by 1920 the population exploded to 5,000 residents. Big things were happening and people flocked to Oregon for new opportunities.
2: Three Bend residents, Edward Nichols, Roy Wilson, and Dewey Morris, all worked at Brooks-Scanlon Lumber Company at some point, before their untimely deaths.
3: Edward Nichols was born in Ohio on June 12, 1870. He grew up on a farm as the oldest of eight children.
2: In 1895, at 25 years old, he married a Canadian woman named Liza Ann Young, They had two daughters, Annabelle in 1896 and Janetta in 1904.
3: During that time, the Nichols family lived in Michigan and Montana, where Edward worked as a blacksmith. By 1910, Edward moved his family to Deming, Washington, where he worked as an engineer for a logging company.
2: It was in Deming that the Nichols family became friendly with another couple, a man named Dan McClellan and his wife, Margaret Leoella Wilson.
3: Leoella's brother was Roy Wilson, who would have been 22 in 1910. We don't know the circumstances of their meeting, but it's likely Edward and Roy met thanks to Leoella and started a long-lasting friendship.
2: While this friendship began, another relationship in Edward's life ended. By 1913, around the time Edward moved to Oregon, he and Liza got a divorce.
3: We don't know why, although some speculate that Liza was not a fan of Oregon. She returned to Washington to marry an older man, and her daughters went with her.
2: By 1920, Edward was 50 and living in Bend. The census records his profession as general laborer. Though his brother Guilford also lived in Bend, Edward probably led a lonely existence, living in a room at the Bartlett Hotel.
6: How can I help you? Room for one, please. Check out date?
3: I'll get back to you on that. Starting over couldn't have been easy. Luckily, he found a new opportunity, thanks to another Edward. Edward Logan was around Edward Nichols' age. Though primarily a logging contractor, Logan was also a successful fur trapper on the side.
2: The fur trade was incredibly active in 1920s Oregon. Professionals and amateurs alike would journey into the woods to set trap lines a series of gadgets designed to catch animals like foxes, marten, and mink.
3: It was an arduous job, especially in winter. But when sold, the furs yielded a profit that more than made up for the grisly task. It was a market that everyone wanted in on.
2: As a railroad contractor, the entrepreneurial Logan couldn't spend months away from his job in Bend checking trap lines. So in 1922, he brought Nichols in on his business.
4: Nichols,
6: how much do you know about... trapping? Well, I've done a little. But I hear you're the master salesman. They say your wife's got the fanciest furs in town.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Catherine's certainly happy. And warm. But I do well because I've got a system. Whole thing works better with a partner. Go on? I got this little cabin up by the Lava Lakes. Perfect place to raise Martin and Silver Foxes. You stay up there for a few months, set the traps, Feed the animals. And I'll cut you in on the profits when we sell the furs. Mm, Sounds a little lonely. Then bring a friend. You two can trap for yourself on the side. And if you want to brew some moonshine up there, well, prohibition be damned. What do you say? (laughs) Haha, you're a
6: darn good salesman.
4: But haven't you had bad luck with partners before? Sure, Rob Llewellyn got snow blindness and had to quit. And yes, Cephas Gott couldn't stay, on account of accidentally shooting himself. Logan, this job sounds cursed. Relax, Nichols, you'll be fine. I think I will bring a friend.
3: Edward Nichols had just the right partner in mind. Lee Collins was a fast-talking charmer in his late 30s from Idaho, who had worked with Edward in the summer of 1922. They ran a pack string for tourists and campers at the Cascade Lakes.
2: A pack string is a line of horses or mules connected by ropes, helping a group move through the woods without losing animals or supplies.
3: From fall 1922 to spring 1923, Edward and Lee Collins lived in the cabin in the Deschutes forest, raising foxes and collecting the furs for Logan to sell. It's estimated that the value of the furs they collected from Logan's five silver foxes would have been around $1,800, which in today's money amounts to almost $28,000. Even a
2: small cut would be a handsome payoff, but when Edward and Collins returned to Bend to give the furs to Logan, their mutually beneficial arrangement soured. Logan refused to sell the furs. By August of 1923, Collins was furious.
6: Logan's cheating us. No, he just says the market's low and we won't make as much off the furs. I know it's a pain, but if we wait a few months, he'll sell them for more. He's lying.
4: After months of work up in the cold while he sits back and bend, get a hold of yourself, Collins. Trust the man. So you trust him. I see what's going on now. What does that mean? You and Logan are holding out on me, aren't you? Collins, what? You sound insane. <laughs> you want insane? Fine. If you don't make this right, I'll come back and and kill you both!"
3: Lee Collins was convinced that the two Edwards were cheating him out of his hard-earned money. So he went back to the Lava Lake Cabin to get his revenge. He stole $500 that Edward Nichols had stashed away there. $500 in
2: 1923 would come out to around $7,500 today, so this was no small act of theft. But Collins didn't stop there.
3: He also broke into Edward Logan's home in Bend and stole a diamond ring and beaver fur coat belonging to Logan's wife, Catherine.
2: Edward Nichols reported the stolen $500 to the police, blaming Collins. He probably felt like he was taking control of the situation by giving the authorities a solid lead, but upon meeting the police, Edward learned something shocking.
3: Lee Collins didn't exist...
2: Lee Collins was actually named Charles Hyde Kimsey. Kimsey was a wanted burglar who escaped from a 14-year sentence at the Idaho State Penitentiary in 1915, eight years before the events at the cabin.
3: After robbing both Edward and Logan, Kimsey fled Bend on August 21, 1923, and his escape was just as awful as his past.
2: Still operating under his alias, Lee Collins, he hired a taxi driver named William Harrison to drive him 60 miles southeast of the city to the Last Chance Ranch. He claimed he was going there to buy horses to use up at Lava Lake.
3: Just as they passed the ranch, Kimsey turned violent. Hands where
1: I could see him. N- now, Mr. Collins, put the gun down and let's just work this out.
2: Before Harrison had a chance to talk his way out of the hold-up, Kimsey knocked him unconscious with his revolver. After Harrison awoke, Kimsey force-fed him a poison intended to kill him.
3: With Harrison at death's door, Kimsey stole his cash, coat, and shoes, tied him up with baling wire, and placed him in a nearby cistern, a receptacle built to hold rainwater. But miraculously, Harrison awoke a few hours later.
6: Hello? Hello? Help! Somebody help me!
2: (coughs) Harrison vomited up the poison. He broke free of his ties and made it to the Last Chance Ranch to report the crime.
3: A local sheriff found the taxi's license plates abandoned near the cistern and was able to follow the car's trail, but it soon ran cold.
2: With no more leads to follow, Kimsey successfully evaded capture.
3: Kimsey's freedom worried Edward. He could return at any moment seeking revenge. But in the meantime, Edward still needed to make a living and Logan needed somebody to collect more furs.
2: In the fall of 1923, Logan asked Edward Nichols to spend another winter trapping at the Lava Lake's cabin.
4: Logan, I told you that job was cursed. But Collins or Kimsey or whoever the hell he is, he's gone. And you need the work, don't you? Right, but I'm not doing it alone. Not with Kimsey on the loose. Who are you gonna bring this time? A pack of trained attack dogs? No, a Marine.
3: The last time Edward spent the winter trapping at Logan's cabin, He teamed up with a criminal and lost his hard-earned money. But this time, he had a plan to make sure that things went differently.
2: And they did go differently, though not quite the way he wanted. This time, Edward Nichols would lose much more than $500.
3: When we return, we'll see Edward assemble his full crew before heading out to the cabin for the last time. And now, back to the
2: story. In the fall of 1923, Edward Nichols of Bend, Oregon was preparing for another winter at a remote cabin by the lava lakes. It was a trip that undoubtedly gave him some anxiety.
3: His former partner, Lee Collins, AKA Charles Kimsey, was a wanted criminal who thought Edward cheated him out of the profits from their trapping.
2: Kimsey had already stolen $500 from him, but he still might return for revenge against Edward.
3: He couldn't risk being alone all winter, so he called on his old friend, Roy Wilson, for backup. Roy was the perfect choice, because he was a Marine.
6: Name, age, and place of residence? Harry
1: Leroy Wilson. Roy for short. 29 years old, Silver Lake, Oregon. But I was born in Colorado. Occupation? I'm a logger for the Brooks-Scanlan Lumber Company.
6: Hmm, five foot nine, 165 pounds. Sure you're tough enough? I can hold my own. So tell me, Roy Wilson, why are you interested in enlisting in the Marine Corps? Why, sir, to serve my country.
2: Harry Leroy Wilson, known as Roy to his loved ones, was born on January 12, 1888, near Rifle Creek, Colorado. He was the only son of Sarah Jones and Charles Wilson.
3: Roy's father, Charles, was a mining prospector, and his job took the family to Washington State in 1895, when Roy was seven. The Wilsons lived in Washington for about 15 years, until Roy was in his early 20s.
2: Around then, Roy's sister, Leoella, and her husband, Dan, became friendly with Edward Nichols and his ex-wife, Liza.
3: It's likely Edward and Roy met when their families lived in Washington. Edward was 18 years older than Roy, but despite that, the two men formed a lasting friendship.
2: By 1914, Roy and Edward were living in the same place once again, and they continued the friendship they struck up in Washington.
3: Roy found work as a logger for Brooks Scanlon, It was a good job at a big new company in Bend, and Roy was surely happy with the way life was going. But in 1915, tragedy struck. His father, Charles, passed away.
2: And as we lay Charles Wilson to rest, I'd like to say a prayer for his wife, Sarah, and children, Leoella, Rose, and Leroy. May they find the strength to go on without their beloved patriarch.
0: (laughs) Oh, Roy. He's really gone, isn't he? What am I going to do?
1: Mother, don't fret. Heck, I'll work twice as hard at the mill if it means I can provide for you and Grandma. I promise.
0: You're too good to me, Leroy. Your father would be proud.
1: Thank you, Mother.
2: With Charles gone, Roy was his mother's only source of support. He kept working as a logger, but soon Uncle Sam's siren song was impossible to ignore.
3: There was a patriotic fervor in the air, and 29-year-old Roy Wilson enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps on May 26, 1917, three years into World War I. Roy felt it was his duty, but it's likely this decision was tough on his mother, Sarah.
0: Roy, are you sure about this? You don't have to prove yourself to anyone.
1: My country needs me. Don't worry, I'll still be able to send you money.
0: It isn't that, Roy. I've already lost your father. I can't lose you too.
3: Mother, I will see you again. Joining the Marines meant Roy was risking his life. But luckily, his company, the 108th in the 8th Regiment of the Marine Corps, was not deployed to Europe. Instead, in October of 1917, Roy and his fellow soldiers were sent to Galveston, Texas, on a transport ship, the USS Hancock.
2: Though Roy and his fellow Marines never saw combat, their mission was crucial. They were called to patrol the Gulf of Mexico and keep a watchful eye over oil fields in Tampico, Mexico.
3: The U.S. Army relied on that oil, so Galveston was a key strategic outpost. Roy's unit stayed there for almost two years, until the war ended on April 25, 1919.
2: While he didn't fight overseas, Roy still spent two years undergoing rigorous training and drilling. He came to be known as rugged and disciplined, a reputation that followed him home to Bend.
3: In 1919, Roy resumed his work as a logger at Brooks Scanlon. By then, his mother, Sarah, lived with her mother, Mary, in Bend. Incidentally, their neighbor was Guilford Nichols, Edward Nichols' brother.
2: The Wilson and Nichols' families continued to be entwined, it's likely that it was this closeness that inspired Edward to ask Roy to join him in the fall and winter of 1923, trapping fur in a remote cabin.
6: I don't know, Ed. You haven't exactly had the best luck up there. Roy Wilson, are you telling me a U.S. Marine is afraid of a little snow? No, but you know how my mother gets when I'm gone. Alright, but think how happy she'll be when you come back with that fur money. Or better yet, an elegant mink stole?
1: Didn't realize you were so fashion-minded, Ed.
6: I need a friend, Roy. Someone I can trust. Kimsey is out there, and I want you at my flank when he decides to come back. (sighs) Fine,
1: you old scaredy cat. I'll come. And
6: I think I know a fella who'd make a good third. Roy, as far as I'm concerned, you can invite the whole damn Marine Corps.
2: The final member of the trapping trio was one of Roy Wilson's longtime logging colleagues, Dewey Morris.
3: 25-year-old Dewey lived at a boarding house in Bend and was a foreman at the Brooks-Scanlon Logging Camp alongside his brother, Owen Morris.
2: Roy Wilson had been friends with both Morris brothers for five years thanks to their jobs as loggers at the Brooks-Scanlon Mill. In 1923, he invited 25-year-old Dewey to join him alongside Edward Nichols at the cabin in Lava Lake.
3: Dewey may have had good reason to want to spend a long winter away from home. Only months before this invitation, he was accused of sexual assault. In November of 1922, 24-year-old Dewey took a young widow, 27-year-old Mary Pednault, on a date. Afterward, he allegedly assaulted her in his car.
2: Word of the assault spread and inspired an outpouring of local gossip and ribald jokes. It seemed like Ben supported Dewey instead of Mary. Even his bosses at Brooks Scanlon stood behind him.
3: It took months for Mary's case against Dewey to be taken to court, but a trial finally commenced on April 11, 1923.
2: In court, the prosecution only took 15 minutes to deliver evidence to the jury and failed to question Dewey on the stand. Instead, five character witnesses spoke on behalf of Dewey's innocence and the verdict was not guilty. Journalist Paul Hosmer wrote in his Deschutes Pine Echoes paper,
6: The camps were greatly interested in the Dewey Morris case in circuit court last week, as Dewey is an old hand around all the camps and well-known. Dewey was arrested and charged with a statutory crime, but when the case finally reached a jury, it only took them seven minutes to bring in a verdict of not guilty.
2: With this verdict, Dewey Morris was, on paper, an innocent man. He was surely thrilled with the ruling, but it's likely that the gossip still bothered him.
3: A winter away from the local rumor mill may have been exactly what Dewey needed. He accepted Ed and Roy's invitation, and the team was complete.
2: They made for an unlikely trio. A man afraid of a criminal, a man recently accused of being a criminal, and a U.S. Marine.
3: Roy Wilson's brother-in-law, Hervey D. Ennis, took Roy and Dewey the 25 miles southwest to the cabin in October of 1923. It was just off the northwest shore of Little Lava Lake, giving its residents a charming view of the water. A half-mile trek would lead you to Big Lava Lake.
2: Walking trails were plentiful, and phone service could be found at forest ranger stations scattered throughout the region, so it wasn't completely isolated. Still, getting around would become much trickier in four-foot-deep winter snow.
3: Despite the emotional baggage each man brought with him, their October mood was light. There's a photo of 53-year-old Edward Nichols, 35-year-old Roy Wilson, and 24-year-old Dewey Morris from that first day, likely taken by Hervey Ennis, after he drove Roy and Dewey there. In it, Dewey stands on the left, taller and burlier than the other men.
2: Roy stands beside him, posing rather confidently as he pulls a sled full of supplies, the strong man of the group. On the other side of the sled is Edward, older than the other two with an easy smile on his face.
3: Behind them, the small log cabin is nestled between the trees. A picturesque place where they would make themselves at home.
6: And back here are Ed Logan's fox pens. Boy, these
1: are
4: five of the most beautiful creatures I've ever seen. (laughs) They'll look even more beautiful on a pretty lady as a coat. Can you imagine the look on some gal's face when you show up at her door with a brand new fox fur coat?
1: Sure, Dewey. Say. Maybe if you'd given Mary a coat like that, she would have been more amenable to you on that date. <laughs>
6: hey, that was proven innocent. Boys, don't start a ruckus. We're about to be in tight quarters for months, so here's the rules. We take turns caring for Logan's foxes. When we're not doing that, we can set up a trap line in the woods and trap some furs on our own. And when we're not doing that, we can sip some moonshine, have a few laughs, and try not to kill each other before we go home in the spring. I'm gonna need to visit Mother at Christmas. That's fine. I figured we could snowshoe back to town around Christmas to sell some furs anyway. If we last until then. You okay, Ed?
1: You know he's not gonna come back. Who? Who's not coming back? Don't worry about it, Do. Ed, we're safe here. I'll make sure of that. Thank you. Thank you both.
2: The mood was light on the day of Roy and Dewey's arrival, But soon, snow would cover the ground, the lava lakes would freeze over, and the stage would be set for one of Oregon's most infamous crimes.
3: Coming up, the three men spend a tense winter at the cabin near the lava lakes. And now, back to the story.
2: By mid-December of 1923, 53-year-old Edward Nichols, 35-year-old Roy Wilson, and 24-year-old Dewey Morris had been holed up in a cabin in Oregon's Deschutes Forest for almost two months.
3: They were there to care for Edward Logan's five silver foxes, which meant being present for regular food deliveries. They also had the gruesome task of skinning the animals for their valuable pelts once they were grown.
2: The men ran trap lines across the woods, catching their own animals to produce fox, marten, and mink fur.
3: It was a tough job, but they all got along, cooking together and sharing meals.
2: Despite the good times, a specter hung above this little cabin in the woods. The threat of Charles Kimsey's return was a heavy burden for Edward Nichols to bear.
6: How could I have been such an idiot? Trusting Collins? His name wasn't even Collins. You're being hard on yourself, Ed. We've been through this.
4: Yeah, almost every night. It's kind of creeping me out, Ed.
6: You don't understand. I pride myself on being a tough guy. But that low-life thief fooled me for months. And he's out there with my
1: $500. You've got nothing to worry about, Ed. There's three of us, and only
4: one of him. Right. Well. Unless Kimsey brings back up, too.
1: Lord, do we? Why'd you have to say that? Now Ed's gonna... <laughs> p-
6: <laughs> you okay, Ed? Hell, I don't know. It's just... I guess I could stand to lighten up a bit. I'm glad you're both here.
3: Over the winter of 1923 and early 1924, there were only three reported sightings of the trio.
2: The first was at Christmas. Edward Nichols and Roy Wilson snowshoed back to Bend to sell their first set of furs and spend the holidays with their friends and families.
3: No one knows whether Dewey Morris also went home or stayed at the cabin. Perhaps he was still wary of the gossip surrounding the assault accusations against him and wanted to keep away.
2: Roy Wilson's widowed mother, Sarah,
1: was thrilled to have her son home.
3: Merry Christmas, mother.
0: Go on, Roy. Have some more of this roast. I know it's your favorite.
1: Mother, I'm stuffed. Boy, your cooking sure beats Ed Nichols.
0: How is Ed? He holding up all right? Why wouldn't he be? Oh, come now, Roy. I may be your old mother, but I'm not blind. It's no secret that Kimsey man terrified him. I know he wants you there for protection.
1: I think he's a little paranoid. It's nothing to worry about.
0: And yet I'm going to worry. You help Ed out, but don't put yourself in harm's way for nothing. You hear me?
1: Mother knows best.
0: Yes, she does. Now, are you sure you have to leave tomorrow morning?
1: That's when Ed's heading back. We'll spend another few weeks up there, then be home by February. Is that a promise? Would a Marine break a promise?
2: As 1923 ended and 1924 began, the second sighting of Ed, Roy, and Dewey occurred. On January 15th, Alan Wilcoxon, the owner of a local Elk Lake Resort and an acquaintance of Ed Nichols, stopped by the cabin for dinner.
6: (laughs) Alan, Alan, you've got to have another glass. One more pour, come on. (laughs) Ed Nichols! This
5: is murder by moonshine.
4: It's cold out there, Alan. Gotta
6: stay warm, right? Roy, will you talk some sense into these fools? I am a representative of the U.S. Marine Corps, and I am ordering you to
1: drink. (laughs) Oh, you guys are too much. All
5: right then, (laughs) cheers. (laughs)
3: Alan Wilcoxon later reported that the mood was happy and light during their dinner together. He spent the night at the cabin with the three trappers before heading out in the morning.
2: Well, this brings us to the third sighting of Ed, Roy, and Dewey on January 22, 1924. This sighting is more unusual because it was nowhere near Bend or the Deschutes Forest. In fact, it was 120 miles away in Portland, Oregon.
3: Carl Schumacher, the owner of the Schumacher Fur Company, bought $110 worth of fur from a group of trappers from Bend.
2: Selling furs required a trapper's license, and the license presented at the time of sale was Edward Nichols.
3: What was Edward doing selling furs so far from Bend?
2: That's a question that would matter greatly in the investigation that followed.
3: The fur sale in Portland on January 22, 1924, was the last official sign of activity from any of the three trappers. At first, their friends and families in Bend may not have worried. After all, Roy had told his mother that he'd be back in February.
2: But soon it was March, and motherly intuition was nagging at Sarah Wilson. She knew Roy kept his promises, and she knew something was wrong.
3: The first person she likely turned to was her son-in-law, Hervey Ennis, the man who took Roy and Dewey up to the cabin back in October, 1923.
0: I'm telling you, Hervey, something's not right. Roy said he'd be home in February, and it's almost mid-April.
5: I know. And I miss having Roy around, too. But plans change. It's still snowing up there. He and the others probably just want to wait until the trip home's easier.
0: It was Kimsey, I just know it.
5: Sarah, get a hold of yourself. He hasn't been spotted in a year.
0: Ed brought Roy up there to protect him from Kimsey, and I think he got to them.
5: What are you saying, exactly?
0: I think they're dead. I think my Roy's dead.
5: Don't say that. We don't know.
0: Then go up there and find out. If you don't, I'll do it myself.
5: All right. All right. I'll go.
0: Hervey. Don't go alone.
2: The first people to make their way up on April 13th were Roy's brother-in-law, Hervey Innes, and Dewey Morris's brother, Owen, who worked alongside Roy at Brooks Scanlon.
3: Snow was still on the forest ground and went up to four feet deep in some places. The cabin was still somewhat inaccessible, so the men drove to an access point near Snow Creek Road but that was still seven miles south of Little Lava Lake.
2: Hervey and Owen had to use snowshoes to walk the remaining distance in the cold.
3: When they arrived at the cabin, they found it in total disarray. Trash was strewn everywhere, dishes were moldy, and the calendar was still turned to January, despite it being April. The only sign of life was an emaciated cat.
2: But what was more concerning was the fact that Edward, Roy, and Dewey's coats, rifles, and snow boots were still there. All their gear was clean and spotless, almost like the men were prepared for a trapping trip they never took.
3: It was extremely unlikely that they'd leave the cabin without their coats, much less their boots, unless they had no choice.
2: Frantic, Hervey and Owen rushed to search the land around the cabin.
5: Logan's foxes are gone! Think maybe they got hungry and escaped? No. There's still food in their pans. I'm thinking they were stolen. What's that you just stepped on? It's… it looks like shotgun shells. Eight of them! Owen, you better come over here.
3: What's that? Pretty sure
5: it's a blood stain.
3: What happened next is unclear. Some reports indicate that Owen Morris and Hervey Ennis stayed that day and proceeded to make a number of discoveries. Others indicate that they returned the next day with Edward Logan and Deputy Sheriff Clarence Adams.
2: What we know is this. In addition to finding eight shotgun shells and a blood stain, the men also discovered a series of sled tracks. One of the trapper sleds was missing a six-foot-long, hand-pulled model that they used to carry back animal carcasses.
3: The men followed the tracks about a half a mile to the shores of Big Lava Lake, which was still frozen over with a thick layer of ice.
2: There, they found the missing sled, partially hidden in the snow.
5: Owen, look. That stain.
4: Uh, Is that more blood? I'm afraid so. Hervey! The river! On the ice! I think those are sled tracks.
5: Looks like it, can't tell for sure.
4: Did they cross the lake?
5: I'm sorry, Owen,
4: I think we found them. What do you mean?
5: I think they're right here, under the ice.
2: They would have to wait until the ice melted, but as soon as it thawed, the awful truth would float to the surface. Edward, Roy, and Dewey had been murdered.
3: Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We will be back next Tuesday with Part 2 of the Lava Lake Murders. We'll delve into the mysterious circumstances around Edward, Roy, and Dewey's deaths and the lengthy investigation that tried to make sense of the twisted and violent crime committed against them.
2: For more information on the Lava Lake murders, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book The Trapper Murders by Melanie Tupper to be extremely helpful to our research.
3: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify.
2: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unsolved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
3: To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar.
2: Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review.
3: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network.
2: We'll see you next time.
3: If we live till next time.
2: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Carly Madden. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Amin Osman, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Mike Capozzi, Sky King, Heston Mosier, Samantha Moore, Jack Shulruff, and Dan Velasquez. It stars Wendy
0: McKenzie and Carter Roy.